Hello. Hi, and welcome to Color Me Curious, storytelling podcast telling stories about things we're curious about in the realm of true crime, folklore, and the paranormal. I'm Sarah. And I'm Zasha. break i hope everyone got vaccinated uh we did we did not together i wish yeah that would have been good it really felt like the thing that i was missing about the vaccination experience which like makes sense that it wasn't this way because you know the whole thing about covid is you can't be around other people Mm -hmm. but i really missed like some sort of bonding like hey guys we're doing this yeah like rosie the riveter like vibe i mean i went to jacob javits in new york city and they were the best they were awesome um but like when they realized i was getting my second shot they were like oh great it's your second shot and like the both nurses that were there were like doing little dances and they were like great you're so it can't i'm so happy you're getting your second shot and then like it's all like uh run by i guess the coast guard or whatever it is you know the coast guard they, they, immunizing <laughs> the people the, the some army branch or whatever it, and then the army the dudes guard. were like actually like shouting and dancing they're like all right yeah and so you're like, saying you got a chippendale show i mean no because one they're like 12 years old oh gross so i, I mean not really they're probably like they're 18 like 21 yeah, yeah yeah and so no but, like, they were, like, in a really good mood. and awesome. So it sort of made it, like, okay, like, I guess I can be a little happy that I'm doing this, even though it's, like, such a somber, weird yeah. experience. Yeah. I think that's the thing. It's, like, so I did not go to Javits. I wish I did. Um, although all I can think of when I think of the Javits Center is that Hillary's uh, election night event was there and it was supposed to be this thing of like they bought do you know the story they would bought special confetti to make it look like the glass ceiling of the Javits Center no. had been broken and like it was custom made and it was super fancy and they clearly did not get to use it and so I just think of that every oh, time that I see that so building sad. I know oh, my God. friend Genevieve shout out to Genevieve was there and <laughs> there's this like Getty Images picture of her making the worst face <laughs> Oh, no. I mean, she still looks beautiful, but it's very much a, like, oh, no face. Oh, it's no. like a version, an iteration of the Chrissy Teigen grimace. Um, no, awful. But we, uh, Matthew, our producer, my partner and I, uh, went to... Don't say it. Sorry to be clear. <laughs> Don't say where it Matthew is. Matthew is my partner. It was not Matthew, our producer, comma, my partner, comma, <laughs> and I. Uh, yeah, that's much more complicated than I am. So, Matthew and I went to an... I wouldn't say where it is. Not to be specified, (laughs) hospital in the Bronx. I wouldn't even say Um, that part. Here's the thing. The first shot experience we had there was not great. Um, Not ideal. Too long a story. Zasha knows it already. So, I'm not going to tell you at home. It was not great. But the second one we had... So, because the first one was such a nightmare we made like the earliest possible appointment for the second one so it was at like 7 a.m or 7 30 or something and we got there super early before they opened um the clinic so we were in line for like 20 minutes max probably less and then we just went right through and it was great but uh my nurse was so hyped up oh she was like a lot of the nurses were not and I yeah. get it. Like, I totally understand. I just, I had been really hoping I would get someone who was, like, going to be positive because right. I knew that I was, like, going to cry or something. Yeah. And, like, I didn't want it to be a bleak experience like the rest of right. uh, COVID has been. Um, so she was really sweet. And she was like, girl, I can see you smiling under that mask. Aww. I'm smiling, too. And I was like. This is wonderful. And then she gave me, like, a lot of hot takes on what Christmas is going to be like this year. Oh. Because <laughs> everyone's just going to, like, overcompensate for yeah. missing it. Which I was, like, great. Uh, solid hot takes. 
And then she, like, what was really uncomfortable is she was like, okay, I have to ask you these questions. Are you pregnant? And I was like, no. And she was like, hmm. And I was like, no. And she was like, hmm. And I know she was, like, joking. But I was like, girl, it's 7.30 in the morning, and I'm in a very emotional state getting a COVID vaccine for an actual plague that's been, like, killing my friend's family members. Mm -hmm. Can we not? With, like, jokes right now? Can we, like, not do <laughs> yeah, this? Yeah, that feels a little inappropriate. It was great. That went back and forth for what felt like 35 minutes, but was probably, like, three go-rounds. So, yeah, we had a great experience. She and I went back and forth. I wish I'd gotten her name. She did say something really lovely that I cheesily put on my Instagram, but it felt like a momentous occasion where she was like, we've spent the last, like, year and a half telling people their family members are not leaving yeah. this facility. And, like, being with people in the worst possible times, and this time we get to, like, give people their lives back. Right. And I was like, that's really beautiful. Not a lot of people seem to be feeling that way. But I get it. Sometimes you can't see the forest for the trees, you know? You're stuck in that day-to-day grind. You're there at 7 a.m. giving people shots. Yeah. How many people do you think passed out? Probably a lot. Well, apparently that's all, like, anxiety. Oh, yeah, full yeah. anxiety. The same as if you get any other shot. Yeah, yeah. So, anyway. No, anyway. No more COVID. Oh, trigger warning. Shots. Sorry, too late. So, what are you curious about this week? Okay, so I was curious about male bees. What is their deal? Mm-hmm. So, uh, I'm sure that Sasha knows this for... But for those of you, our dear listeners who are at home, maybe you don't know this. So beehives are primarily female. Mm-hmm. Um, the queen is a female uh, a female presenting. Gender does exist in the bee spectrum because that's how their society is built. Mm-hmm. We respect that. We honor that. So um, much different than humans where gender is a spectrum and a construct. So... Uh, not only is the queen a female, but all of her attendants are female, and most of the worker bees are female. And by most, I mean all. All of them are female. Mm-hmm. And in a hive is primarily female. The drones are the male bees who all that they do, they do not have a stinger. All they do is bone the queen. Their whole goal is to be there to help her lay eggs. I did know this. So I was curious what happened, like, after that. Like, do they just, like, sit around? Do they have, like, a bee man cave? So I learned, courtesy of at Texas Bee Works, Bees Works, Texas Bee Works, I think it's Texas Bee Works, on TikTok, amazing, highly recommend checking her out, uh, that the drone or the male bees, basically when they're done mating, all of the worker bees, all of the other women in the society kick them out like bouncers. And if you look up videos, it is one of the funniest things I've ever seen. They, like, drag the drones out by whatever means necessary, and then they throw them out of the hive. So b- below hives, because they're just extra mouths to feed. It's possible that in a situation, though climate change, who knows if this would happen currently, but in a situation where a hive is thriving and has a lot of food, it may not be an issue. But most of the time, now, you'll see a pile of dead drones at the bottom of the, like, on the ground below wherever the hive is, which is not funny, but it's kind of funny. (laughs) And watching the videos of the women, the women, the, I'm anthropomorphizing bees now, the female worker bees pulling the, the drones out is, like, one of the funniest things I've ever seen. There's, like, four or five uh, worker bees for every drone because they are they are like bigger but they don't have stingers <laughs> so they're just these like bummer existence bees and they're like pulling them by their legs or like pushing them pulling their wings and just like picking them off with I their feel mini like legs there's like posters on some of these like female bees walls that's like oh yeah it's like made them shoe them yeah. Kill them or, like, mate them, kick them out, and watch them die. <laughs> Absolutely. It's like, have you ever been to the Cubby Hole in general? The Cubby Hole is one of the last lesbian bars in New York. It's an amazing bar. <laughs> highly recommend. Um, it's like watching the sole straight guy at the Cubby Hole who comes in and everyone's like, that's fine. Like, he'll figure it out. 
and then he doesn't figure it out and then he just is destroyed like he's just pushed emotionally it's like he's being crowd surfed out of that tiny it is genuinely like a cubby hole it's a tiny bar he's just like being crowd surfed out into the cold Sorry, and everyone's like cheering jackets as oh they yeah come out. yeah 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 <laughs> it's incredible Oh, this is my favorite thing. I didn't know. I didn't know that they like essentially like kicked him out and they died. But this is like so much better imagery. Of, like, it's also possible. Like if the if the drones weren't you know being such dicks, they could go to another hive. Like they don't have to die. They have wings, but they basically just like submit and they're like the damn bees got wings. The damn bees got wings. <laughs> Anyway, look up uh, drones being kicked out of a hive. Amazing. See, if you had any other, like, any reason to save the bees, this is it. This is it. They're feminist as fuck. Our feminist icons. <laughs> Even though equality and feminism strives for equality between the sexes and, you know, gender parity, <laughs> it is still very validating, especially if you are a female no, we can just simplify or identifying. Everything. Bees. Feminist icon. Love it. Let's do it. Bees to the bees. Stinger wouldn't want a beer. <laughs> <laughs> or no, it's Stinger. I hardly know her. No, that's worse. <laughs> that's not because that is not that's that feminist. After dark. Ooh, I'm that's sorry. Not feminist. that shouldn't be kept in. <laughs> anyway, if you're ever having a bad day, check that out. Highly recommend. It's very fulfilling. Z, what are you curious about? All right, so mine is the opposite of feminist. Bees. Oh no! Although I think the same idea applies to this. Um, it's a very serious thing that's happening right now in Puerto Rico. There's a social movement um, where the out public is outraged after femicide and gender-based violence is becoming more common, according to act activists. In the years following Hurricane Maria, it was always a problem, but it's like ramped up. Yikes. Well, there are two stories. Uh, a well-known boxer, Felix Verdejo, allegedly, allegedly, murdered Kishla Rodriguez, his 27-year-old pregnant girlfriend, oh. and their unborn baby, um, who was upset that she was keeping the baby, even though she said, I don't want you to be involved, like, it's fine, She's just 27. whatever. She's 27. like, yeah. she can um, do what she wants. Well, because he was married and has oh. his own children um so instead of you know dealing with it like a big boy he murdered her allegedly um the set this news came just two days after andrea ruiz 35 was found partially burned in um costas had filed a gender-based violence complaint against her partner miguel angel ocasio santiago in March, but judge, and I'm going to say her name, Ingrid Alvarado Rodriguez, dismissed her case. Are you f um, fucking serious? So, yeah, uh, Puerto Rico Governor Pedro Pierluisi said this, and this is a quote, there should be no doubt that we are in a state of emergency due to the gender violence. The pain, anger, and indignation that we feel every time we witness a crime of gender violence has to be kept alive in us so that we do not rest in our responsibility to protect, prevent, and abolish this evil, as well as do justice for all the victims. And, like, my comment to that is, fine, you can call it evil, but this isn't evil. It's society. It's a society that has long been built by machismo. Mm -hmm. It has been tolerated. Violence against women is accepted as a social norm, and it has to stop. And I hope that the government does something about it, and I hope that as a society... We put a stop to this norm, especially in places like Puerto Rico. Absolutely. Um, so that is my curious thing. Like, shit needs to change. As a backup, what is the bee situation in Puerto Rico? <laughs> Can we send so, our feminists? I think allies? we need to get the bees down there. I think uh, we need to get the bees down there. <laughs> Do something about Clearly, it. Clearly, human society is shit at doing anything. So, like, I don't know, let's bring some matriarchal uh animals let's bring some bees, i think what's so funny wolves. is that puerto rico is such a matriarchy in so many ways that this makes like no sense why we need to continue to tolerate this but i think sometimes it's the situations 
where it feels like it should be so obvious right. that it's the most difficult to dismantle. Yeah. Well, it's all fucking, like, patriarchy. Absolutely. Not just it. for America. <laughs> Even though Puerto Rico is technically a part technically of it. Technically a part of it. Anyway, it happens everywhere. That's bullshit. Yeah. And I hope that those women get justice yeah. or their I'm, families. I'm really happy to, like, see a lot of, because I have a lot of family in Puerto Rico, and, like, a lot of people are posting, like, about Good. it. Um, so I think people were tired of it so anyway incredible i i hadn't heard about those i knew it was a systemic issue mm-hmm. um i did not know about those specific cases so thank you for bringing them up no problem so what's your story this week okay so my story it's my first true crime story oh my gosh are you serious yeah it's wild. Usually I, I stick with the, like, paranormal and um, uh, folklore. But this week um, I wanted to do a true crime story. And I will warn folks, this is an ongoing case. Okay. Um, if you know anything, and we'll also post information at the um, on our Instagram. Sasha, what's our Instagram handle? At ColorMeCuriousPod. Beautiful. Uh, I just wanted to loop in Zasha. I definitely still remembered what our podcast was. Um, but we'll post information if you know anything, if you, you know, want to get involved, um, in helping solve this case. Uh, we've seen a lot of success with web web sleuths in the last few years. So, you know, it's not a bad idea. So this is the story of the disappearance of Ashley Loring Heavy Runner. Okay, so Ashley Loring Heavy Runner's family still carries the memory of their ancestor, Chief Heavy Runner, who was killed in 1870 when his peaceful camp of mostly women and children was massacred by a drunk army colonel named Eugene Baker on the Marias River. Fuck. Yeah. Um, They're members of the Blackfeet tribe. Um, Their uh, domain is mostly in Montana. So a lot of this information is taken from an ABC News article. We'll post them all as well. Um, But uh, Harry Barnes, a former tribal chairman, told ABC News for this article, uh, the Indian problem of old was to kill them and move them. The Indian problem today is let's forget they exist. And this story, and if you're familiar with any of the stories of missing and murdered indigenous women, um, it's, it's a common refrain. Um, Daryl Norman, who is a Blackfeet historian, uh, continued by saying, we survived those epidemics, we survived the extermination, the assimilation programs, we lived through all of that and we're still here, and now we have doctors, we have lawyers, we have all the things that they never expected us to have. So, despite, you know, all of the obstacles and the lack of resources, you know, indigenous cultures are still out there, they're still continuing, they're still maintaining their history and their traditions, but they're also, you know, suffering because they don't have the resources that, um, you know, quote-unquote Americans have, even though they were here before us. So Ashley uh, went missing in 2017, in June 2017. So known for her contagious smile, Ashley was a star athlete in high school and attended and excelled. Um, while attending the Blackfeet Community College. She was an environmental science um, scholar. She was a gifted speech giver. She, uh, a lot of her, there's a lot of interviews with her, um, her co-classmates and friends where they were like, she's the one that would challenge our teachers. She's the one that would like speak for the group and bring up questions and like, make everyone better in the process. She was a a beautiful inside-and-out person. Um, And she even created a presentation about all that the internet said is is about buffalo. But I I would extrapolate um, the environmental aspects of buffalo populations to various colleges all over Montana. And it was super well-received. And she was 20 years old. She was on her way to um, pursuing this path. So in early June 2017, Kimberly, Ashley's sister, returned home from Morocco where she was visiting her partner, her fiancé. And she was suspicious that she hadn't heard from her sister 
because they were very close. It's a very close-knit family. Um, there are three sisters. They were uh, raised by their grandparents on the reservation. They were super, super close, and their extended family was close as well. So no one had heard from Ashley. And the plan when Kimberly came back from her vacation was to move Ashley into her apartment in Missoula, which was nearby, mm -hmm. again in Montana, uh, so they could start a new life together. Um, there are some stories that Ashley had fallen into kind of the wrong crowd and maybe experimented with some different substances, but she was like, there was a plan to renew her life. Like, there was also, a plan was in 20. place. She was also 20. I mean, who among us? You know what I mean? I mean, me, but... Zasha. <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the squarest person around. <laughs> I mean, also same. I was like running D D D rides, but regardless, like you can't judge someone for no, behaviors, especially not. someone who's been through so much trauma at such a young age, um, and then is also dealing with like a current issue. So they had made this plan uh, that Ashley was going to move in with Kimberly, but Kimberly came back from Morocco, this huge trip, and she didn't hear anything. And initially, um, you know, they all left. She and her family members, their grandmother, everyone left voicemails and texts and everything. They didn't get any calls back. But Ashley was notorious for losing her phone, which, like, who can relate? <laughs> Me. And so they figured she had just gone to visit a friend and, like, left her phone at home um, because that had happened before. However, their father was unexpectedly hospitalized for liver failure, and there was still no word from her. And that was super weird because, again, the family was super close. So at that time, they filed a missing persons report with the tribal police and also the BIA, which is the Bureau of Indian Affairs. It would be two months before the BIA, which is responsible for investigating major crimes on the reservation, seriously investigated the case. Oh, fucking two hell. Months two months for a missing person. And there had already been, like, a couple weeks that they lost some time, which is totally justified because they thought that there was nothing wrong. She's an adult. You know, it's it's not a big, it's not a crime for an adult to not respond to texts. Though, you know, if my dating life proves anything, it should be. But, <laughs> but, but not to minimize, like, they truly, her family members thought there was nothing wrong. Once they, you know, filed the report, the BIA should have looked into it. Absolutely. And we'll but get to that. Some lives matter more than second. others, so. Time and time again, it seems mm -hmm. to prove that. So, in the meantime, in these, like, two months before the BIA started investigating, it was clear to her family that, like, they weren't doing shit. So, Kimberly reached out to Ashley's friends on social media to see if anyone had seen her, but no one had been in contact with them, or with her since June 5th. Um, so, while Kimberly had been in Morocco, she got, like, a weird FaceTime from her sister. Um, and this was, I think, around June 4th or June 5th where she'd, like, asked for money, which was unusual, and it was clear she was, like, intoxicated on something, and she was at a party, so she didn't really think much of it. She was like, my 20-year-old sister's at a party. You know, I'm I'm in Morocco. I'm going to finish my trip. She's going to move in with me. We'll figure it out then. So that was the last time that she had spoken to her. Um, but none of her friends had been in contact with her since June 5th. So two weeks after Ashley was last seen... Uh, her family received their first tip that someone had seen a young woman running from a vehicle on U.S. Highway 89, no. which goes through the reservation. So a search was conducted of the area, and in a nearby dump, like dump spot, it wasn't an actual dump, uh, volunteers found a gray sweater thought to have belonged to Ashley, which they handed over to BIA. Fun fact, BIA lost it. No. For a couple months. Yep. You know, because... Obviously, they have too many sweaters to keep track of. Like, come on. So ridiculous. So, a little backstory about sort of how it works on uh, reservations and, and in tribal designated areas. So, um, the BIA is known to be one of the most chronically underfunded branches of the federal government um, across the board. So, just period, always underfunded, chronically. And the Blackfeet tribe specifically covers a lot of land, and they'd constantly ask for more resources to protect its citizens, according to, again, Harry Barnes, the formal, former, sorry, not formal, former tribal chairman. So, um, 
according to Monty Mills, who is a tribal law scholar at the University of Montana, who's like quoted in this ABC article, um, basically you have three different governments who are responsible for protecting public citizens in Indian country, and the phrase Indian country is in quotation marks. There's the federal government, state governments, and tribal governments. So, and he goes on to say, anytime you get three governments together to try to do anything, it becomes challenging, which I think multiple cases could prove, right? Whether they're dealing with native populations or um, black populations or any, you know, um, non-Christian, non-white population, like it gets more complicated. So based on a Supreme Court ruling and acts of Congress, most tribes can only charge their own members with a crime, which means they can't arrest anyone else who commits a crime on their own land. They have to enlist outside help, which is like when the BIA comes in. Okay. Which theoretically you'd be like, sure, you get to govern your own space. But in practice is a nightmare. Um, If someone comes on, it's not like there's like one gate in, one gate out, and we like check everyone anyone could come onto land create uh you know commit a crime and the local authorities in the tribal space are not legally allowed to charge them with a crime so crazy. they have to call in either the federal government or the state government what's more most tribes are barred from charging anyone including their own members with major crimes such as rape or murder those can only be handled by federal agencies like the BIA or the FBI. What this is saying is that when you're on a reservation, your local group cannot charge people with serious crimes, and the only people they can charge with minor crimes, or at least things that are not, they could still be serious, but not rape or murder, or I guess like, I don't know, like terrorism, bigger level crimes, they can only charge their own members. Yeah. In Montana, there's more land than people. Yeah. The amount of space space they have to cover. Yeah. To quote the Dixie Chicks. Basically, the amount of land they have to cover is completely irrational to have no assistance from any other system. It feels very much to me, and I am a white woman, so, you know, take that with a grain of salt. It feels very much like a you wanted this, you get it situation. And in this case, and in a lot of missing and murdered indigenous women cases things fall through mm-hmm. it's not even falling through the cracks it's built to fall through um as we'll see so it's a little background on why the bia was responsible for investigating so feeling that her sister's case was not being taken seriously duh and experiencing an overall feeling of indifference from officials shocking clearly that was the case uh kimberly who's uh, a real real hero in all of this and like Kudos to Kimberly. She's incredible. If I had a sister, I would want her to be like Kimberly um, because she has never stopped and never backed down. So she ended up taking matters into her own hands by conducting daily ser- searches on the reservation, became her own detective for the case. Oh, she amazing. took phone calls. She read messages. She got into social media. She followed up on leads. They went to people's houses who were suspects, like she and her family members. Oh, my gosh. I- incredible. Like, she, I want a TV show about her, but, like, not in a way that – I want to find out what happens and have justice for her sister first. But, like, she deserves a lot of credit because right. she's done an incredible amount of work. Puerto Rican trumpet? Truly. All right. All for you, Kimberly. Um, so she's actually the one, Kimberly is the one that discovered during this time period that the gray sweater that was found during the earlier search had never even been sent to a crime lab. It sat in a box in evidence at the BIA where they, quote, misplaced it. So during one of these searches, so they were like, fine, let's bring this to their attention. Fuck them. We're going to keep investigating on our own, on our own reconnaissance, basically. So Kimberly and a family friend later discovered during one of these sweeping searches, because it's also a ton of space, and, you know, they did as much as they could, but it's such a wide space, they later discovered potential evidence at the very edge of the reservation, a pair of red-stained boots, and another torn sweater covered in red stains. Mm. They thought it may be blood, so they wrapped it up um, in protective, you know, tried to maintain the integrity of those pieces as much as they could, 
And they provided them to the BAI, and they were like, seriously this time? We're coming after you if you don't do this. They documented everything. One of the, um, I hate to say, like, my favorite parts about this case, but one of the most gratifying elements Mm -hmm. is I feel like a lot of times you hear these stories, and they're from maybe, like, the 80s or the 90s, and someone's like, I don't know, I'll just touch this piece of evidence. In this case, they really covered, Kimberly and her family members and their friends covered all their bases. They tried to protect the integrity of all of these pieces, much more so than any of the authorities did, which is incredible. Um, So these items were found not far from a remote lake house owned by a man named Sam McDonald, who she says was one of the last people Ashley was seen with. So basically, after the loss of her grandfather and a devastating breakup with her, like, true love, her first boyfriend, you know, when you're 20, etc., um, Ashley started using drugs and hanging out with an older crowd, including McDonald, who was in his 50s at the time. Ugh. Which, like, there's older crowd, and there's, like, oh, God. Yeah, that's... There's a difference with, like, maybe a 25-year-old who probably should have a job and, like, a 50-year-old. And you have to imagine, I mean, like, any situation where there's, like, younger women and maybe even younger men and then, like, these older dudes who have been there forever, there's some level of power that they hold over the younger individuals. It's not – I'm not saying that you can't be friends with a 50-year-old man, but you don't, like, party with your English teachers. You know what I mean? No, yeah. Although I love my English teachers. Shout out to Miss Boyer and Miss Lamb. What, what, Miss Goki? Oh, yeah. Because, <laughs> again, Zasha and I are nerds. But in any case, they wouldn't have, you know, done any of this. So uh, when asked, McDonald claims the last time he saw Ashley was the morning of June 11th, 2017, after she asked him to take her to a roadside pull-off so that someone named V-Dog could pick her up. Sure. He claims he looked for her after he woke up. He claims he dropped her off, went home, took a nap, and then looked for her when he got up, but he couldn't find her. Okay, strong story there, sir. Uh, He said he was later told that V-Dog is a nickname for Paul Valenzuela, another man in his 50s, who just conveniently happens to have a criminal background, including burglary and weapons convictions, and split his time between the Seattle area and the reservation. So, Ashley's family... Also, like, look, I know rappers are popular and, like, all these, like, artists that have weird names, but if you're a man in your 50s, your name isn't V-Dog. I mean, I'm trying to picture, like, Like, one of my uncles being like, hey, I'm going by V-Dog now. Yeah, it's like, no, sir, you need to, like, worry about your retirement fund and maybe take some, like, Rogaine or something. Yeah, have you thought about, like your prostate health like yeah why? Like, go get your prostate checked it's super important seriously men get yeah, your that's prostate real. checked. that's real you should do that um but like your name isn't v-dog no and i'm sorry to shame people i guess who's i'm not you'll see but he's not great okay so uh ashley's family recognized that individual and said that he was seeing ashley like casually dating shortly before she disappeared but that at the time v-dog again there's there's like a lot of power that these older men are holding over i'm sure more women than just ashley and their group so um at the time he was still in a rocky marriage with a woman named tashina running crane who is also known as t so according to glacier county court um which is like the the local court where uh, Valenzuela was uh, primarily lived, he filed for divorce from T roughly a month after Ashley vanished. So, you know, that's not suspicious at all. I guess it would be more suspicious if it was before she vanished, but it's yeah. still pretty rough. Or, like, took it back right away, maybe, being yep. like, oh, guess no, 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 I don't want to get divorced. We're, like, super happy now. Exactly. A little bit more suspicious. So, basically, while Kimberly and her family knew what to do, um, these dudes who were under suspicion did not. Um, and Kimberly and her family kind of went after them. They were, like, posting on social media, do you know more about this, about these people? They were, like, keeping the heat on the local authorities and the BAI, like, have you looked into these people, etc. Um, then... This is super exciting. 
T did what all innocent people do, which is post a 14-minute YouTube video in September 2017 under the title Setup. Um, and in the recording, so this is September, so she's already uh, in the process of being divorced by her husband because um, Ashley disappeared in June. Mr. V-Dog. July, Mr. V-Dog uh, filed for divorce, and then this is in September. Okay. So in the recording, T claimed that Valenzuela was framing her for Ashley's disappearance. Um, she said, basically, he has Ashley and everyone in this town knows it. He's trying to set me up. She claimed that she had been participating in the search for Ashley, which Ashley's family was like, you weren't. Um, but she left the reservation to escape what she said are false accusations. She said, totally of her own accord, in her own YouTube video that she posted, uh, they said that I killed her. They say that I caught my husband in her, but I didn't. So, bold statement there, T. Uh, she claimed that she didn't know about her husband's relationship with Ashley until after her disappearance. She also said that she and Paul were in Seattle at the time that Ashley disappeared, and... Honestly, a review of V-Dog's court records show that he specifically was in the Seattle area in early June 2017. Okay. It does not, however, show that she was. It just shows that he was. Um, however, a report from a corrections officer to a superior court judge also says that on June 9th, 2017, Valenzuela told Washington correctional authorities that he intended to return to the Blackfeet Nation in Montana to collect his belongings. So just to recap, that's two days before McDonald claims that Ashley got picked up by him on the side of the road. Okay. And if you drive from Seattle, like, like it, it makes sense. The timeline fits. Um, Valenzuela told Washington correctional authorities that he would return in the first week of July. Instead, according to court records, he evaded correctional authorities for more than two months before finally returning to Washington for a sentencing hearing in September 2017. By October of 2017, he was sentenced to serve 20 months in prison over the original thing that he was um, being detained for, which was a weapons conviction. So he was then um, in jail in Washington. So soon after Ashley was reported missing, Kimberly texted both T and Valenzuela separately about Ashley's disappearance. Um, the texts from T said that Paul has he, has her, and then Paul's text said Tanisha or Tashina is giving you false info. Ask her; she probably knows more than she's saying. So weird. It gets weirder. So there is, and this is not. I have not confirmed this. I've not been able to confirm this with like a, an objective source, but it was posted by Kimberly and some other family members. And um, there's, like, an active Reddit thread with people from their town that a member of the investigative uh, team was actually involved with um, most likely T. But they say with an individual who what was a suspect. Fuck? Yep. So that's all going on at the same time as well. Um, so by now, it's the end of 2017. Um Nothing has happened, really, that Kimberly and her family haven't put forth into the world. So in, in uh, February of 2018, the FBI was finally called in to take the lead on Ashley's case, which is nearly nine months since she first disappeared. Um, an FBI spokesperson says this is because they held off at the request of the BIA. Um, however, they later clarified that a request from a partner agency is not required for the FBI FBI to become involved in a missing persons case. So clearly no one knows what they're doing on that end. And if Kimberly and her family members hadn't been so dogged about pursuing this, it's questionable whether the FBI would have even gotten involved. It's incredible. So, oh, but it gets worse. If there was a cocktail this week, it would just be multiple shots of whiskey because this is a fucking nightmare. And I'm so sorry that the Heavy Runner family has had to deal with this, and I hope that they find their daughter and sister. Um, but uh, as reported by their local news in the area, so it was the FBI Salt Lake field office was handling uh, Ashley's disappearance. They took just weeks to join the search for Mackenzie Lueck, who is a 23-year-old white university, university of Utah student 
who went missing in June 2019. Of course. And her body and suspected killer were subsequently discovered within a month. Of course. So, you know, yeah, there's definitely no discrepancies. Nope. Um, so Justin, a family member, said, why do they jump all over trying to find a white person and then a native goes missing and they just look the other way and blow it off, which is not wrong, um, as we can see. I mean, we've learned very recently and throughout many years of true crime, there's a perfect victim. Exactly. So. Um, Ashley's family has a march every year to mark the one year, or mark the anniversary of her disappearance. It started in June 2018 to march to mark a year since she's been she'd been missing and in that same month again because Kimberly should just be a detective but she's better than the police um and federal agencies so June 2018 the family was given permission to search a trailer that V-Dog and T had frequented and that Ashley had reportedly visited during the summer that she vanished that they'd like thrown parties at Law enforcement said they'd already gone through it, but the family was skeptical, and they wanted to look for themselves, and guess what they found underneath shag carpet? <sighs> what? A giant maroon stain. No. Which had not been marked or acknowledged in any of the paperwork from the BIA. But Kimberly, uh, Kimberly is incredible, and her determination never wavered, and it does not to this day. She even testified before the Senate Indian Affairs Committee about her sister's case in December 2018. Um, days before she did so, Ashley's name finally appeared publicly on the National Missing and Unidentified Person System. It took 18 months to get it there. Um, she said in her testimony, please look into the law enforcement working missing and murdered indigenous women because there is something seriously wrong here because our girls are people and our men are important. The day after her testimony, she got a call from the FBI. Whoa. Day after. So, again, if someone wants to turn this into a TV show, it's you can't create this stuff. Um, the FBI called. Uh, they said that they found human remains. So, obviously, the family was super emotional. However, it turned out that the body was, quote, ancient and that of a middle-aged man. So not only was it not Ashley's remains, but they don't know whose it was. It was clearly someone who had died under mysterious circumstances. It was not a burial site. It was not anything like that. And even though the authorities called it ancient, it turned out to be decades old. So it wasn't actually that old. But that's pretty old when you know that she's pretty gone old. missing in like a, a couple years ago. Also a like five-foot-something, 20-year-old woman is... I mean, you should be able to see that and Absolutely. not put the family through that. Um, so, Ashley is still missing to this day. Um, one story that I do want to share that's heartbreaking but also um, kind of beautiful in its own way is that one of Ashley's teachers at um, Blackfeet Community College was Anita Lucchesi, or Lucchesi, Lucchesi, I'm sorry, Anita, if I'm pronouncing that wrong, but you're incredible. She's also the executive director of the Sovereign Bodies Institute, which spearheads a critical project lending gravity to the stories of uh, missing and murdered indigenous women in North America, and it's the only database that logs this. So Ashley was listed in there, but not in the official database. There's, like, a big disconnect in that. So Lucchesi built her database entirely on her own. That's incredible. She researched missing persons cases, filed Freedom of Information Act requests with authorities around the country. Um, it's estimated that Canada has about 12,000 cases, but they haven't made the data accessible. And in the United States, there is no list that exists other than her database. Oh. Um, her work has been cited in the halls of the Senate and remains the only comprehensive list of missing and murdered Indigenous women in the U.S. So... Professor Lucchesi says, uh, before Ashley went missing, we actually had a discussion on missing and murdered Native women in our speech class. She was teaching a speech class. This woman was not even teaching, like, programming or database building. She was teaching speech. She's incredible. So they had a discussion about it in the speech class, and so when she saw that she had been reported missing as well, it made her feel sick. 
because she worked really hard to protect all of her students, but she wasn't afraid or she wasn't able to protect her. She personally entered Ashley's name into the database to ensure oh. her story wasn't oh lost and continues to maintain and uh, publicize this database Look at my to this arm. day. I know, I, I have chills. Just chills. It's super unfortunate. So there is an, a very active Facebook group that Ashley's family has created. I believe Kimberly runs it, but it may be another family member that will link. Um, there's also a GoFundMe to help continue funding this investigation that obviously the authorities have not taken seriously or put enough time and energy into. Um, also, what's really beautiful is on the Facebook page, they post other stories to try to get um, insight and assistance into other missing Indigenous women and children. Um, and I believe, based on looking at the case, or looking at the site, rather, earlier today, it looks like they have found resolutions for a good amount of them. Wow. Um, it's obviously, I think we, I'm sure if you're listening to this podcast, you know that this is a, an epidemic that has been going yes. on truly since colonizers came right. to this continent. But the fact that it has continued into this millennium is disgusting. It's awful and horrible and disgusting. And the very least we can do is give yeah. attention and um, resources to these searches. So I encourage anyone to look more into Ashley's story, look into, you know, other stories of missing and murdered indigenous women, um, try to get their names into your brain, into your mouths. They matter. They are humans. And this is something that attention and, energy and resources should be funneled to to try to assist I guarantee you um so I went to UNC Chapel Hill um pretty pretty diverse school but also pretty white state um I guarantee you if undergrads were missing at the rate that missing and murdered indigenous women or missing indigenous women rather are disappearing the entire country would be watching it yeah and I'm sure that's true if it was your workplace, if it was your town, if it was your state. And think about that the next time that you hear one of these situations has happened. Yeah, wow. I I didn't even comment that much because it's just, there's nothing I can even say or add because that was amazing. Thank you for sharing. It's, yeah, and I agree with everything you said. I have nothing to add. I hope Ashley's found. Obviously, we hope that she's found alive. But if she has passed, I hope that it brings her family solace. And I truly don't think anyone could have a better advocate than Mm -hmm. her sister, Kimberly. Yeah, she sounds incredible. She's incredible. And the rest of their family, too. Yeah. So that's the story of the disappearance of Ashley Loring, heavy runner. Um not not the most uplifting story, but yeah. hopefully... It's an important story. It's super yeah. important, and hopefully it'll bring even a small bit of attention mm-hmm. to her and story. like you said, we'll post all the links mm-hmm. to all the pages and GoFundMe's and all that stuff. Whew, okay. Yeah. Like we definitely need something good. <laughs> yes. What is something good? Tell me something good. <laughs> um, so uh, this is Tuesday, May 4th. Sunday in New York City was 80 degrees and sunny and incredibly beautiful. So uh, Tom, my husband, and I went for a long walk in our neighborhood with our neighbor Hope. And we walked by our friend Donald's apartment and literally like called out like Romeo and Juliet style to have him come down and join us like little kids like literally like went to his building that's wonderful and we're like hey come out to play and like got cocktails to go and went to the water because we live in Williamsburg so we walked to Williamsburg and Greenpoint and it was just so beautiful out that we just like stayed out all day and like felt like normal people for a little bit because we're all 
vaccinated so we didn't have to wear masks outside unless we did when we went to like the water because there were a lot of people but for the most part it was just like empty streets that we could just like walk around without a mask on sipping beautiful cocktails to go which by the way we've been cheated in new york city mm-hmm. by not having cocktails to go this long i totally I'm agree so upset but anyway, it was great, stay. and I'm not even that angry that I have a sunburn, if you can oh, see. No. <laughs> because I just didn't think to put on sunscreen. Right, because we don't leave the house. So anymore. I've just bought some new sunscreen, because you should buy new sunscreen every year, by the way. You really should. Um, <laughs> it just goes bad. Uh, yeah. So I just bought new sunscreen, and I'll, I'll be ready for the next nice day. That's wonderful. Yeah. Um, How about you? My, I mean, it's hard to beat the videos of the bees because uh, that's really been sustaining me but um sustained by bees another sustained shirt by bees uh oh I would totally wear that shirt so um I was uh home last week and I'd had a couple cocktails and I decided to start ordering crowns and when I tell you I don't remember why I ordered so many I don't I ordered three in a crown. They truly (laughs) just kept arriving over a period of a few days. How many crowns did you get? I got three. (gasps) I hope that's all of them. There's a chance. I'm like, I have not looked at my Amazon history. Anyway, I, I, uh, I have a bunch of crowns now. And I found that working from home, uh, because I slouch all the time, if I wear a crown, I have to like put, sit up straight so I think it's like a low-key uh, posture hack. There you go. Also, Just put on a crown. <laughs> put on a crown. Also, they're literally like $8. I know we shouldn't use Amazon and et cetera, but Intoxicated Me did not support, you know, the working people like it should. We're going to have a talk later. But in the meantime, I have three crowns. Amazing. Pretty I'm gonna great. have to see them later. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> now I'm just gonna sing you should see me in a crown I'll all night. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Always wanted a theme song. Amazing. <laughs> well, you're a queen bee now. Oh, that's it. <laughs> Thank you. That's all I've ever wanted. <laughs> so I guess buy a crown. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And remember, curiosity killed the cat. But knowledge brought him back. Thank you for listening to this episode of Color Me Curious. We'll be back next week with more spooky, eerie, and mysterious stories. If you have a spooky story you want to share, send us an email at colormecuriouspod at gmail.com. And if you're still curious, follow us on Instagram at colormecuriouspod or on Facebook under Color Me Curious podcast. Color Me Curious is hosted by Zasha and Sarah. It is edited by Matthew Kane. Our theme music is In the Dark by Crowender from the Free Music Archive with additional music by Matthew Kane. Hello, Zasha. Hi. And welcome to Color Me Curious, uh, our, fuck, I always mess it up. Yeah. <laughs> our fuck. That's uh, what I was yapping. Not that you fuck it up, you don't. You're perfect.